0: This is Karen Hunter and welcome to The Hub. Hey, today I want to talk religion. You know, over the next 12 months, I'm going to be using this space to kind of go in on what's happening in the God space in people's lives. Um, quite recently, there was this whole story that went viral about John Gray giving his wife, Aventer a Lamborghini Jeep, and people were losing their minds. And I really didn't have too much of a problem with the Jeep giving. I had a problem with the public display, uh, which I thought, I mean, again, this is an opinion. I'm not judging, but I am a little bit. <laughs> um, the public display of wealth, not just wealth, it was like he was... Doing something on Instagram to show the world how much he loves his wife. But to me, love is always an action word. And it's also love is, um, relationship rather, is personal. So I have a relationship with God talk to God every day. I don't wear a cross. I don't necessarily walk around talking about, you know, I'm blessed and highly favored. I don't wear my Christianity as a badge of honor because I'm working every day to improve my relationship with God, which also forces and compels me to improve my own inner self. Meaning, you know, I have to examine my behavior, the things that I say and think and hold them under, you know, the light to see if I'm doing the right things for myself to be the best human being I can be. That's relationship. So for me, watching John Gray give his wife a jeep while it's nice, that's something between y'all two. Why are we involved in that? Why do we have to watch this? Why are we witnessing it? Who cares? And as long as he's not using the church's money, which I didn't believe that he was, because I know a lot of people were coming after him for, you know, why why are y'all tithing into a church when he's using that money to buy extravagant things? I know that he's written a book. It did really well. He had a TV show on OWN. He got a check for that. He could afford to buy Aventur a, a $200,000 uh, Jeep, without the use of any church funds. But it raised a larger question because then it came out uh, maybe a couple of weeks later that he had cheated on Aventer. And he confessed this in front of a church. There's a YouTube video with him confessing it. He brought her up. She talked about it. Then there were rumors about some woman being pregnant by him. And it just became a hot mess. Now, so I'll say this. Uh, yes, pastors can be targeted. You know, people can target them. I know for a fact people troll people when they want them to shut up. And if you are in the spiritual realm, you know, this is not a battle of flesh and blood. This is a spiritual battle. And if you are really leading and winning souls for Christ, you probably are going to be under some, you know, some scrutiny. You're probably going to have some people come for you. But that's why it's incumbent upon, upon people who are called to do this work, called to do this work that they know that this is a calling in their life, that they have to be above reproach because everything you do will be, get, will, will be examined. You know, you will give up your right to win souls. F- yeah, and yes, we're all flawed. We all are human beings. We all fall short of the grace of God. But within that frailty of humanity, that human frailty within that um, not being a perfect person is a is a complete understanding of accountability and what that looks like. And that means that for every mistake you make and for everything that you've done in your life, because we've all lived, that you recognize, man, I, I did that. <laughs> it was wrong. I'm sorry. I won't do it again, because that's what repentance is, is a complete turning away from that thing. So if you used to uh, be abusive... Right, And for whatever, whatever reason, maybe you were a hurt person and so you hurt people and you acted out and it was knee jerk and it was impulsive and you went and got help for it or you, you, know, you figured out how to, to mature into a person that can navigate and negotiate uh, com- conflict and discourse in a different way and you're no longer that person. You have to go back and apologize to all of the people that you hurt, but first forgive yourself and then move forward in a life where you're no longer hurting people. If you, you know, used to be um, lascivious and, fat, so you say, you had a pornography addiction and it was, you know, detrimental to the things that you wanted to do in your life and hurting people and yourself, you stop doing it. Turn away. Repent, right? So John Gray cheating on his wife, that's between he and his wife. I don't really think it's our business except that as a leader, there's a scripture that talks about, you know, uh, pastors and teachers, preachers and teachers are going to be held doubly accountable. I just fear for a person's soul in a position of leadership where people are watching what you do, following what you do, that you might be doing the opposite of winning souls. But that's between you and God too. But I wanted to bring this up today, not to have a conversation about John Gray and Aventer Gray and their relationship and their pastorship um, and why maybe they are pastors. Who made them pastors? I don't know. But I was uh, directed to a story uh, in Africa because, you know, part of the thing that I'm going to be doing also is making a connection. I'm connecting the dots. There's no longer spaces in my world where we can divide and conquer ourselves or be conquered because it's time to do a new thing. And even this discussion around religion is about freeing the binds around people so that we can start to come together to do some things, like build some things and grow, not just individually. So in Rwanda, and and what's really crazy about Rwanda, if you remember Rwanda is is a is a country in Africa where over a couple of week uh period, over a couple of weeks, people were directed, cousins and neighbors and friends to kill one another. I still don't know what the fight was about, but I know that 800,000, nearly a million people died in an uprising that was insane. Okay, it was, it was called a genocide. Fast forward, Rwanda now is one of the most progressive countries in all of Africa. They have come out of that manure to build and grow some things. And one of the things that the leadership in Rwanda is doing is looking at the church. Back in April, there was a story about 6,000 churches in Rwanda, 6,000 churches being closed. Six pastors were arrested in a government sh- crackdown that began actually in March of 2018 with 700 closures of the nation uh, capital of Kigali. Um, this is according to news report. Six pastors were reportedly tried to um, to rally uh, public support, That excuse me, six six pastors tried to rally public support for their churches in Kigali. They were accused of masterminding a plot to disobey the government. And the closures came as the Rwanda Governance Board was conducting a national review of proposed regulations controlling faith-based institutions. They included requiring pastors have theological education, that buildings have two bathrooms, each for men and women. So What they were saying, basically, and I don't know if I agree with this, so I'm putting it out there. I'm putting the story out there. So in Rwanda, what the president, Paul Kagame, has decided is that these churches have not lived up to their billing. And if you're going to be a pastor, you should have some knowledge, some education, some theological education. Do you agree with that? Do you agree with that? Um, Also, if you have a church, people should be able to... Go to your church. Use a bathroom. <laughs> it should be in a building. And so it, mean it raises several questions. All right, so if we're going biblical. Personally, my idea of church is not a building. I do not believe that church is a building. I believe that church is a collection of people who can be wherever. If we're looking biblically, when Jesus started his church, he could be at the, the edge of the water, you know, because he hung out with those fishermen, Peter and them, and they could be chilling at the edge of the water. He could start a discussion, a crowd would form, and he would start preaching. He could be in a field. They're chilling, he and his disciples, they're talking, Rabbi, tell me this, that, or the other. He would start preaching. A crowd would form in a couple of cases, 10,000, a couple of, you know, there's another case. It was a 5,000. He took two little fish and five loaves of bread and fed everybody who just showed up. So my understanding of what church is comes straight from the Bible as it relates to Jesus. And in the Bible, those of you who are Christian, church was wherever Jesus was talking to people, teaching people, leading people. So the notion that you need to have a building with two bathrooms. I get it though. From a government standpoint, people are just doing what Jesus did, showing up someplace. You know, those revivals where folks are out in the middle of, uh, you know, with with fold up chairs or on blankets in the middle of fields. That's actually, you know, uh, in the tradition of what I believe church should be. I think people can have church in their home. I think people can have church wherever they are Because it says, scripturally, two or more gathered, there I am. So if there's three people in a room talking about God, there's church. That's what I believe. But let me go further into the story. So uh, the notion that everybody should have, if you're a pastor, a theological degree. You should have some... Okay, so I have not two minds on this because I'm I'm not conflicted at all. But I want to just throw out a couple of things. Number one... Just because somebody has studied religion does not make them a pastor. You can know chapter and verse of the Bible. There's a scripture that says even the demons know the scripture. Even the demons know and shudder. Okay, so having knowledge or having, you know, some sort of, um, you know, Educational or um, theological discourse and, and understanding of of chapter and verse and the Aramaic versus the Greek versus the Latin and being able to disseminate and break down and and you know um, translate Scripture is a is a useful skill for a pastor, but I don't believe that it's necessary because I believe um, in the beginning was the Word and the Word became flesh and in my Bible, John starts out with that particular scripture, but that the word becomes flesh means that it is written on your heart. It is written on your, on, in your spirit. So if you are called by God to lead and teach people the Bible, then that doesn't mean that you need to go to school for it. Now, are there a lot of charlatans? Yes. Are there a lot of Preachers, I'm putting up air quotes, who have no knowledge of the Bible and they're out there misleading people? Absolutely. Absolutely. There are people that can, ha, give a word, ha, and ga- make you feel some way, ha, and get you out utter, out of your seat, ha, and make you run around the church, ha, like your behind is on fire. Yes, and, and you will get the Holy Ghost, ha, and then the organ will come in and then praise Jesus. Ha. There are people that can do that. And they're good at it, good at it. It doesn't mean that they, they're good pastors. It doesn't mean that they're actually winning souls to Christ because that's an emotional, you know, uh, and we've seen that with charismatic leadership. People can say a word that can just, ooh, it could, it could make you feel some way. But true leadership and true pastoring, change happens that's permanent. Repentance happens that's permanent. Now, I can't judge that because I'm not in Rwanda. And I'm curious if anybody listening to this right now, if you know any of these churches, these thousands of churches, 6,000 churches that have been closed, was it unfair? I don't know. I can't speak to it. But I do like that Rwanda is taking stock of the, the spiritual leadership that's going on or lack thereof and doing something about it. Because what I do know is inactivity just breeds more more dysfunction. So I'm glad that that Paul Kagame is doing something. Um, According to news reports, uh, he said, are these boreholes, these deep wells that give people water? He's asking that question of these churches. Do they give people water? He said, I don't think we have many boreholes or deep wells. Do we have as many factories? This has been a mess. So apparently the churches have contributed to pollution, They have contributed to um, a whole host of other things. And he's not just closing Pentecostal churches. He's also closed dozens of mosques uh, among the nation's 12 million people. It's a vastly Christian nation, but he's shutting it all down. So he's not picking and choosing. He's not targeting any one particular faith. He's saying, y'all got to get your act together. The physical conditions of your buildings are detrimental to anybody's health. And so he said they're not really targeting religion as much as they are targeting the way in which um, the religions or the these particular churches are running their quote-unquote business, because ultimately it's a business. But then he also said that um, he's targeting some preachers who are deceiving the congregation with misleading sermons. So they even, in Rwanda, suspended a Christian radio station that aired a sermon that the government viewed as hateful towards women. And let me applaud them for that, because I don't know if you know this, I don't know if you know this, but the genocide that happened in Rwanda, and I, and I use this as part of a discussion that I have in my radio class at Hunter College um, when I teach at Hunter. I, I, I use this because it is so powerful to me when I talk about broadcast radio. When I talk about talk radio, I talk about the power of these words, like you're listening to me right now. The power of words over an airwave is so spiritual, it gets into you. You think about FDR grow, you know, growing in his presidency, he used what? The radio. He used the radio to reach the masses. And it, it built sort of a cult-like figure around FDR and, and a following around FDR who was flawed as a person, flawed physically. If he were on television, it would have been a different dynamic for him. Uh, and, and throughout history, people have used radio to promote and produce certain things. In the slaughter of the Tutsis, in Rwanda, during the Rwanda, they call it a civil war, but it was a mass, uh, and it was, and I, I underestimated the um, the amount of people who died. It was a hundred day period. Let me just get the facts straight. Uh, and the Hutus were directed; they were the majority over a hundred day period from April 7th to the middle of July of 1994 to murder the Tutsi population. So, 70 percent of Tutsis were. Uh, eradicated, obliterated, murdered, decimated. Between 500,000 to 1 million Rwandans lost their lives. Additionally, another 30% of the pygmy, Batwa, were killed. The genocide and the slaughter ended um, and and America pulled out. Nobody was really there. Um, But this was where Paul Kagame came into power after, after this. He took control of the capital and the country and he's been responsible for putting things correct. You know, back in order, and he's done a lot of wonderful things. And I don't know if this is a wonderful thing. I don't know, because I'm not there. But I will say that the Rwanda genocide started over the airwaves. Uh, I believe it was a Dutch uh, a Dutch radio outlet um, on a regular basis kept talking about the. Tutsis being uh, you know a blight on society and and kept talking about how they shouldn't be here and it was this kind of hate radio you know we see it today and folks like Rush Limbaugh and uh, who's the, Alex Jones and others uh, Sean Hannity who use and I'm sure there's some people who would say you know uh, there's some because uh, I don't get into left right politics you know that some others who preach and I would name some names but they're just so ah, uh, uh, those are obvious right who use their radio broadcasts on an everyday basis to push out certain messages, and it's powerful. It has gotten us to a place in America where fake news is more popular than real news, than real facts. Well, in in, in Rwanda, June 1993, it was a new radio station called Libre de Mille Colines, and they began broadcasting in Rwanda, and they would uh, everyday talk about these horrible Tutsis, and they were, you know, um, just pushing this message out. Now, here's the power of this, which is why I'm low-key applauding uh, the leader of Rwanda, because the way hate spreads is through an illiterate, ignorant population. Whether we're talking about fake news, fake news can't catch hold with people who are well-read, because immediately you spot the B.S., you know what BS looks like because you're used to reading, and you are aware of things. Whether we're talking about the Islamic jihadists, and, I, and I've had this conversation with Muslims, so you can, we can have this discussion anytime you want. You can at me, at Karen Hunter, on Twitter. I'm always here for it. Hashtag, what should the hashtag be? Hashtag God Talk, G-O-D-T-A-L-K. Let's do that. Hashtag God Talk, and I know it's you. Um But I've talked with Muslims about the Quran and the messages of the Quran are generally peace and love. So how do we get this whole you know infidel thing and you know Allah Akbar? blow up your your building and shoot up everybody who talks about Allah because that's nowhere in the scripture. But it's easy to do when the preachers in that particular religion, the hateful people, are preaching hate to an illiterate body and the vast majority of people in those countries are illiterate they can't read which means they're not picking up the Bible reading it for themselves they have no clue what's in the Bible so when the imam tells them this is what the Bible says this is what Sharia law looks like this is why everyone should be a Muslim and this is your charge to go out there and spread this to everyone and whoever's not like this must die and it's your right to do that, and it's your right to do this to women, it's your right to, you know, whatever the rules are, whatever the rules you want them to be, it works, it's effective. So Rwanda had a heavily illiterate population at the time, and these disc jockeys were doing popular music, sometimes they'd be on the air drunk, But they were really appealing to the largely illiterate, unemployed, delinquents, the gangs, the militia, and they got fed by this hatred and this evil, and it gave them something to do and something to rally around. So when it culminated in what ended up being a genocide, it was almost predictable. So radio airwaves are so powerful. And I just feel very strongly about this, you know, as we start to peel back the layers of this onion called religion— that um, we examine it. So I just wanted to bring this story to the forefront of what Rwanda's doing, do you agree with it? I have mixed feelings as a government, I like that they are setting boundaries and standards across the board, that they are not allowing for people to preach hatred, um, that they are, but it is also, is it censorship? Do we, do we, should we have censorship? Because who gets to determine what's right and what's wrong? Well, I actually do do believe there is an absolute right and an absolute wrong. And the leaders of Rwanda pulling off hate speech towards women, I think that's good. That's not censorship. I think we shouldn't have a society that tells men that they can go rape and beat women. I just think that that's wrong. I don't know. And I think somebody should be in charge. I think in the absence of that, you have anarchy and the potential to have what happened before, which just literally destroyed this whole nation. I'm glad that they're rebuilding. I don't know if shutting down all of the churches is an appropriate, proper response, but it's something to look at and it's something we should all think about. Do we hold our religious leaders accountable enough? Are they equipped to actually preach the word? Do they just make us feel good? And that's why we go to their church or are we actually changing our lives as a result of the teaching? Those are the questions you have to ask yourself when you sit in a pew. And more importantly, just because somebody is a preacher does not mean that they are all powerful and all knowing, that they too can be challenged and checked. We're here to sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron. So your job as a a parishioner, your job as somebody who is a quote-unquote follower of Christ or Allah, Muhammad or whomever, your job is also to hold accountable the people who are are teaching you. So it's not just, this is a journey, and it's not for you to just sit there and be fed and just eat it all up. Your job is to also exercise the work that has been put into you. So on that note, I just want to tell y'all thank you for joining me today in the Hub. I appreciate you immensely, and I hope you all have a wonderful, blessed day.